This is an audio version of the 24th annual DICE Awards Roundtable Series. To watch the video of this episode, please visit youtube.com slash official AIAS. Brought to you by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, this is the award celebration by game makers for game makers, honoring the games that connect players around the globe. No matter where we come from or what our interests, video games bring us together. We gather here to honor our fellow creators and the very best of interactive entertainment. Welcome to the 24th Annual Dice Awards. Welcome to the 24th Annual Dice Awards conversation with our nominees up for Action Game of the Year. Congratulations to all of our nominees. Action games are extremely difficult to get right considering the sheer volume of player expectations and community uh, what community brings to the table every year. Uh, the stakes are extremely high, uh, but when you get a chance to push the legacy forward, you're doing some heavy, serious lifting. Uh, let's introduce our nominees for today. Uh, coming to us from Half-Life Alex, we have Robin Walker. How are you doing, Robin? I'm good, thanks. Uh, give the folks at home a little bit of info about the work you've done in the industry so far. Uh, I'm a programmer and designer. I've been at Valve uh, over 20 years now. Uh, on Alex, uh, I did a bunch of stuff focusing on AI and uh, enemy behaviors, stuff like that it was my main contribution to the action side of things. Fantastic. Fantastic. So happy to have you here from Hades. We have Gavin Simon. How are you doing, Gavin? I'm great. Thank you. Good. Give, give the folks at home a little info about the work you've done as well. Uh, yeah, so I actually started uh, as a tester on a Command and Conquer series at Westwood Studios a long time ago. Um, got a degree in computer science and uh, focusing in artificial intelligence and uh, worked uh, Command and Conquer for a few years before starting uh, Supergiant Games just over uh, 10 years ago now. It's been a long, fun, fun journey since then. Brilliant. Thank you so much for being here. Also, from Doom Eternal, we have Hugo Martin. How are you doing, Hugo? Good, good. Hoping you don't hear my kids. No, <laughs> no worries at all. <laughs> Give the folks at home a little info about the work you've done as well. Uh, I've I, uh, been working in the games industry for a while and, and did some film work. Worked at Naughty Dog, worked on Pacific Rim, and then I came to id Software about uh, eight years ago. I was director on 2016 and now on uh, game director on uh, Doom Eternal. And uh, it's just uh, awesome to be here. It's an honor. Very, very happy to have you as well. Coming in from Marvel's Spider-Man, Miles Morales, we have Brian Horton. How are you doing, Brian? Doing great. Thanks for having us. Awesome, awesome. Please give the folks at home a little info about the work you've done as well. Yeah, I've been in the industry about 26 years. Uh, I've been at Insomniac for three, and I worked on Marvel Spider-Man and then uh, Marvel Spider-Man, Miles Morales as the creative director. Uh, I just helped Brian Intahar out on the first one. And even though I have a title of creative director, he's the one that deserves all the credit for the first game. But it's been it's been great working on Miles. And joining us from the Neo2 team, we have Yasuda-san. How are you doing, Yasuda-san? Thank you so much for being here. あ、こんにちは。え、今日は皆さんと一緒にいられて、え、非常に嬉しく思います。私はあの、チーム忍者で15年間働いていて、え、日本シリーズのディレクターを務めていて、日本2ではプロデューサーとディレクターを、え、務
it, it seems like the stakes get raised every year in this category. What are you doing in, in you and the team to make sure that you're keeping up with the expectations from the players that, that you bring to the table? So, まあ、どんなゲームをプレイしてますけど、本当に素晴らしいアクションゲームが毎年のようにまあ、そこにまあ、ついていけるようにプレイヤーとしてもちゃんとこうプレイしながら普段のまあ、日本にフィードバックするよう
you know, what those ideas might be for those players. <laughs> Not worry too much about it. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I mean, you know, we, we think of, you can't sort of generally imagine the future. You've got to sort of see it um, before you can uh, understand it, I guess. And so, you know, we don't try to beat ourselves up by trying to design everything up front. Like, you know, at the start of Alex, we couldn't tell you uh, why it was going to be interesting to customers. We had some theories that were fed by, um, you know, what we learned from building previous Half-Life games. Uh, and those theories collided with some theories we had from building the lab uh, and playing other VR titles. And so you've got a bunch of guesses as to things that, um, customers might enjoy. Uh, and, you know, in those, you can sort of, we often look for fertility, I guess, is it, you know, how, how fertile is a space, right? If I look at the collision of a couple of those opportunities, do I, you know, can I immediately think of 50 other things that could go there? Or is it sort of hard to think of more than a couple? And so in those early days, when you're in sort of more of a search space than a design space, you're really just trying to find areas that look like they have a lot of potential. Uh, and so, you know, build some build some stuff there primarily to learn about it and put that in front of customers and see what happens. Uh, and over time, sometimes you can get quite a way uh, along the path before you realize, oh wait, this is this is turning out really well. This is really interesting. Mm. People are really responding well to it. And then, you know, eventually that becomes some significant part of the product. But you know, the the sort of the significance comes sort of second, right? After you've sort of seen it in action already. Yeah. And, and, and Brian, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well, because I know expectations around puddles were, were a big part of the conversation for a long period of time, just within your game alone. I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about, you know, how to keep up with and exceed player expectations as well. Well, we had a couple fronts. Like we had to be a launch title for the PlayStation 5. So it needed to mm. showcase all the wonderful aspects of what make the PlayStation 5 awesome. But more importantly, we wanted to make sure we were telling an engaging and grossing story and continuing the great, fun, fluid mechanics of Spider-Man by bringing something new and making everything that we did for Miles feel like his own unique Spider-Man. So that was the big, that was our paramount task is how do we make Miles feel special? And it was a combination of mechanics with, you know, his bioelectricity and his invisibility and what cool gameplay that afforded, as well as this very specific person who is going to maneuver through the world because of who he is. So um, we, we put a lot of focus on story and characters as well. So that's why, why we think Spider-Man worked really well is its relatability, um, but also it's, it's accessibility. Like a, a lot of people could enjoy that game. So we wanted to make sure all that stuff was intact while bringing something new. Yeah, it's, it's, it felt like the, you know, going from the first game to the second game, that there were very, very specific parts that you wanted to nail you know, locomotion, making sure the players feel felt uh, fluid in the way that they were doing things and, and kind of connecting all of that fluidity into, into the way that they all kind of worked with the, with the fight style and, and miles in that way. Do you, do you feel like there were, you know, parts of that conversation that you felt like you were kind of getting inspiration from other, other, you know, not necessarily just games in the space, but other, you know, the other, other mediums and other formats of, of things that kind of felt like you were pulling in, in that as well. Yeah, we're always trying to to balance player input and responsiveness also with the idea of filmic um, spectacle, right? So we put a lot of time and attention into trying to blend seamlessly uh, those moments of cinematic spectacle with gameplay using 
our systemic core mechanics. So like for instance, venom moves our, our bioelectric punches. How can we make that more visually spect spectacular? There was a lot of work on, on cinematography in those moments, uh, as well as, you know, the big save moments that we have throughout the game to try and make them feel epic and cool, but fluid going from, you know, pure gameplay experience into these really curated cinematic experiences. So that was definitely yeah. one of our big goals. I love that. I love that. Um, for, for Hades, I'm, I'm curious, you, we talked a little bit about early access, but I'd love to hear a little bit more thoughts about, you know, what were some of the changes that kind of came along during the process from early access to, you know, the final game um, that, that, that kind of kept in line with that kind of really great fast paced action game feel? Yeah, sure. So to give a specific example, when Hades first launched in early access, people, you know, were definitely enjoying it and giving us a lot of good feedback, but uh, there's definitely a pervasive thread that something wasn't quite right about the combat or that it even felt uh, sticky at times. And so we eventually narrowed it down to the core movement ability, the dash in the game. The original dash was actually conceived as more of like a blink that teleported you forward uh, instantly and then had a very brief recovery pause for balance. So after we kind of identified that, we iterated on it a lot and uh, uh, changed it to more smoothly lurk between the start and end point with a few carefully selected iframes in, in the middle. It was functionally actually pretty similar, but um, you know, if you were looking at it, you could, uh, you could tell, and, but really the just kind of subconscious feel of it uh, made, made all the difference. And then on top of that, we also added uh, input buffering uh, to attacks during that, that lurk period so you could you know, queue up your inputs and have them uh, smoothly uh, fire when the, the dash finished uh, and have it uh, feel like uh, you didn't drop as many uh, but button inputs. And so kind of once we dial in the frame by frame tuning of, of that, that new dash, that, uh, that feedback kind of uh, went away. And of course, we continue to deal with that with every new uh, weapon uh, we added, but that really helped contribute to the, to the smooth feel in the final game. I love that because it is very difficult sometimes to try to figure out when you're adding new new bits to the puzzle of how do you differentiate between those new parts and the stuff that you had previously put in, but also keeping it, you know, feeling different enough so that the player feels like they're getting some more value in that space. So, so I, I appreciate that for sure. Um, Yasuda-san, I would love to hear your thoughts about in Neo 2, how did you figure out the right way of balancing out the gameplay that you have in the game. It feels like there's danger at every, every turn when you're kind of playing the game, but it feels like you, you found a good way to keep players engaged without them feeling overwhelmed. I'd love to hear your thoughts about how you achieve that. So yeah, we put a lot of effort into thinning out groups of enemies, for example, as well as adjusting the space between them so that players wouldn't feel overwhelmed with too many enemies in any one area. Yeah, when players get a game over, we wanted to help the player compose themselves and take a minute to think about the situation objectively or even personally before diving back in. So we worked on the music and the overall feel of the shrine in order to accomplish this. 
、まあ、あとはそのかわいいこだまとかすねこすりっていう妖怪がいることで、まあ、少しこう癒されるような感じにもなってるのかなと思います。In addition, I think the presence of cute yokai like Kodama and Scampus can have a really calming effect on the player as well. I love that. Yeah, it's, it's,、um, I feel like the balance that you've found in Neo too has, has, has been something that made me as a player who was always worried about you know, having the difficulty to be too great. It felt like the balance that you've kind of finally landed on felt, felt really good. How long did it feel? How long did it kind of take to feel like the, the balance was in a good spot? So, this is Neo 2 is a lot of people who are in the world. And then, they are in the world. And then, they are in the world. Yeah, so about a,、uh, about a half year before the game released, you know, we were releasing a demo version for players to play to be able to get feedback and then you know, get those fine tuned adjustments in as well. But I'd say it was probably、oh, at least a year before we really got that good balance in Neo 2 that we were very satisfied with.、Mm. Oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I, I appreciate that answer for sure. Um, this one is for Robin and for Hugo.、Uh, both of you having worked on and working on you know, these iconic characters in these iconic IPs for so long, and they've had this established you know, fandom and, and, and all the parts that kind of connect to that. You know, what aspects from the history of both Doom and, and Half Life、uh, did you kind of make sure to include in the, in the game so that the The nostalgia folks had something for them, but also you're bringing new things for, for folks who are coming to the series for the first time.、Um, I'm going to start off with Hugo on that one for sure.、Um, uh, tons, you know.、Uh, we really, for those that are looking for it and who care, you know, we rope in, we make a lot of the older games canon from a, from a lore perspective. From an overall balance perspective in the feel of the game, You know, we wanted to make it feel,、uh, we borrowed a lot of parts from the original Doom that we thought still made for,、uh, still applied today. It's why the game has aged so well, you know, like the idea of resource management、uh, and, and the impact that smart resource management can have on the player in terms of increasing, you know, their engagement levels with the game. You know, a, a th- wanted to make a, like a thinking person's, you know, action game. And, and I think that,、uh, The original Doom had a lot of that. A lot of people's memory of the original Doom is just turning on a cheat code. I, I, that's how I played Doom the first time. <laughs> But,、uh, you know. Then you play the real one where you gotta like rockets are hard to come by and the rocket kind of does a massive amount of self damage. And we've all died to a demon that popped out in front of us and stuff. And, and just how intelligently designed they were by honestly just being really firm with the player. You know, like, yes, this gun is pl- powerful and I know you'd like to use it all the time, but here's some, here's some basic rules, you know, and, and the game will, the, the engagement around the game will be better for it. So、uh, I would say, Uh, the, the, the underlying structure of the game, as well as some of the, the,、uh, the, the wrapping on the game in terms of the look of the characters,、uh, so much is inspired by the original Doom. We actually remodeled a lot of the characters in this one to look more like the originals. So,、uh, yeah, tons.、Uh, Robin,、uh, I'll leave you with that one as well. Yeah, we, we spent a lot of time worrying about sort of the, the line between nostalgia and novelty. On Alex, especially in the sort of opening chapter, 
because we were highly conscious of the fact that it had been quite some time since the last, uh, you know, last product in the in the franchise. So we couldn't sort of bank on you know every player having much of a memory of it. And so at the same time, we wanted to make sure that there were those uh, sort of nostalgic tugs for any you know anyone who did play those games. Um, so, you know, we spent a bunch of time looking back at those products. We were, had the benefit of still having a bunch of people who had worked on those products still around. Uh, and in the end, I think, you know, we sort of had built sort of a framework that everyone on the team could understand uh, about sort of what a Half-Life sort of canonical experience is, and which is, you know, really about the way it blends together several different genres into a sort of a seamless uh, whole such that the player is sort of moving between an action game and a puzzle game and a, a story-driven game and you know without you really realizing it and that those various genres are going to blend together and form something that's um, you know sometimes a little unique uh, and so with that sort of framework it became uh, I think fairly easy for us to have um, sort of a language for which you know to talk to each other about whether or not something was sort of felt like it belonged or didn't belong. Uh, and then when you put that in front of customers, that sort of framework helped us evaluate the things I was saying back to us. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious because I know we're, we're almost uh, to the point of giving away our, our award tonight, but I'm, I'm really curious to hear from each of you, you know, this genre is very, very special in the way that it kind of has its visual language. It's kind of, you know, input language and the way that kind of works for most players. Is there, is there something very special that you really do kind of, you know, love about the genre itself that, that feels really, you know, akin to, to how you kind of have come to it with the games that you've made? Is there, is there some kind of special sauce uh, uh, about that as well? Um, I'm, I'm going to go to you, Robin, again, really quickly, and then we'll kind of go around the horn for that one. I mean, as to say, uh, Half-Life sort of blends together these multiple genres, so we never sort of feel like we can lean too heavily into, you know, one uh, to the, you know, sort of to the detriment of the others. But I think, you know, when I think about action games and I think about sort of the core of them that makes them work for me, I think it comes down to the, the attention they pay to the responsiveness uh, around players' inputs. And, you know, they the fundamental unique thing about our medium relative to linear mediums is that we have the player contributing their input and their ideas. Uh, and it seems sort of natural to me that one of the, you know, most pervasive genres is the one that cares the most about the sort of that keeping that, that light, you know, the, the distance between the player's input and the game's response down to as sort of thin a, a barrier as possible. Uh, Cause you know, it's like the, that's where the sort of metal lips the road. And so that makes some sense to me. Yeah. Gavin, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard uh, to point to a single, single secret sauce that that's there. I, I'd say one thing we do is we just uh, check in with ourselves all the time throughout the development of like uh, we've all internally, we're playing this game for dozens or hundreds or thousands of hours. And like, does it still feel good? to us to play or just like, you know, having to do another, another play test, do another run in the case of our roguelike, is it feel like a chore or we're excited to just, you know, get back in there and the, 
whether it's uh, you know the moment to moment gameplay of you know hitting dudes with a with a sword still feels uh, really good, or <laughs> you know the whole whole gameplay loop is just something you're you're excited to to get into, and uh, you know if it starts to feel a little uh, tiring, then maybe got to got to figure out why. Brian, I'm, I, I want to throw that question to you, but I also want to add the the, the the icing on the cake of what is it like to kind of work with such an iconic character like Spider-Man and Miles Morales as well in that space? Well, one, that, you know, it's a childhood fantasy to work on a character like Spider-Man, just because I think every single one of us in this room is probably touched by this character. And you have their own vision of what a Spider-Man is to play. But I think for us, the way Insomniac is always sort of driven their games is is fast, fun, responsive controls that are exciting loops. So it's the small loop going across the large game. So the the swinging just had to feel fun. And for Miles, it was his specific expression through tricks and how we can make that feel exciting. Uh, And then it came down to like, how can we make that one bioelectric punch just feel amazing? Anything you did on top of that would just be even more exciting. So we really focus on those tight loops that are going to be exciting and something you know you're going to do over and over and over again. And it's like everyone's been saying, it's like, once you have that right, you, you just try to intelligently build and give different levers that are going to um, complement that core ingredient. But um, but yeah, that, that's what's awesome about working in Insomniac is it is a, a studio that loves making fun mechanics. Mm-hmm. Yasuda-san, I'd love to hear your thoughts about working in the action genre and, and what is your kind of favorite part that you get to, uh, to touch and influence? So, yeah, so here at uh, Team Ninja, you know, one thing that we really want to you know, focus on and we really enjoy, you know, creating in our games, you know, definitely have to be, you know, use, utilizing swords, specifically Japanese samurai swords, <laughs> katanas. Uh, and that's something, you know, we really have fun developing and want to really put a lot of emphasis on and take forward in our games. So that's definitely a very important aspect of our action games and especially that kind of close range combat as well. ニオシーザとあの、I feel like one of the great things about developing action games and kind of our um, goal, you know, when we're creating these titles is to make sure that, you know, with the player, and this is also, of course, very relevant to Neo 2, we want to make sure that the player has an experience where they can tackle these difficult situations through a process of trial and error. And through that trial and error, they learn more about the game. The game teaches them different aspects and they can, you know, get this great sense of satisfaction from, you know, overcoming those obstacles or difficult enemies or tough challenges. So that's something that's really important with, you know, action games in general and something that we really want to take forward and continue to pursue moving forward. I, lo- I love that answer. And, and Hugo, we're, we're going to end with you on that one. What's your favorite part of working in the action space? 
Uh, well, specifically for Doom, I think, uh, you know, uh, being able to uh, pull it all together with sound and, and uh, you know, basically put the player in control of their own action film where they are the fight choreographer and, and the conductor of the chaos. Uh, and, and that through the mastery of the mechanics and the acquisition of skill that they, they alone, you know, control, uh, they are able to feel that sense of power uh, surge throughout the game. And then if in moments when it's all right, it all comes together and you, you just scrape by and come back from the brink of death and land that perfect headshot or, you know, have that great moment and your heart's pounding and the music kicks in. And I think all of these games, you know, in obviously do a tremendous job of this, that, that uh, it, it, and so many others that it just feels, uh, it feels awesome. You know, you, you are, I am not the observer of, of the action. I, I am the director of it, you know, with, with mm. the, uh, with the, with the controls in my hands. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. And, and, and again, thank you all for sharing so many wonderful thoughts. I wish that right at the end of that sentence, a, a great doom guitar riff would have come out of nowhere. And I was <laughs> able to started that part of the process, but um, now I get a chance to give away our action game of the year award. I'm again, thank you so much for all being here. You're all fantastic at what you do and, and excited to have you all nominated for this award. Um, our award for the action game of the year goes to Hades. Hades, wow. you, you snagged it. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Congrats, Gavin. If you want to give the folks at home a little bit of, uh, you know, a couple of words before we all let you go. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, wow, this is a huge honor. Um, you know, in the past, our games have been praised for their outstanding art, music, writing, atmosphere. So. It's a huge compliment that in Hades, uh, the gameplay and feel rose to that same level of uh, recognition. So yeah, I mean, as everyone at the table here knows, making games takes so much difficult cross-disciplinary effort and so many trade-offs that it's really hard to ever stand out in one or more than one uh, area. So especially to be recognized by our peers in the game industry is incredibly uh, humbling. It's fantastic. And again, you, you've all done such fantastic work in this space. So, you know, before we let you go, Robin, Gavin, Hugo, Brian, and Yasuda-san, thank you so much for you and the work that your teams have done this year and in every time that you put out a, a wonderful game out to the world for, for helping us definitely get our blood pumping and, and, and getting our, our blood flowing when it comes to the games that you've made. So uh, everybody at home, thank you so much. And then we'll be right back. The Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences is excited to share that the 2022 DICE Summit and DICE Awards will be returning in person to the gorgeous Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino and Delano Hotel in Las Vegas on February 22nd to 24th, 2022. We'll be celebrating the 25th anniversary of the DICE Awards and bringing together industry leaders to share their ideas about the many facets of the interactive entertainment industry. Stay tuned to www.interactive.org and our Twitter at official underscore AIAS for more details coming soon, including special anniversary rates. We can't wait to see you again. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off 
my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill.